You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me talking to you from Vox Media headquarters in New York City. My guest today is David Haskell, the brand new editor-in-chief of New York Magazine. Welcome, David. Thanks. You looking at me askance. Did I get something wrong? Did I, no, did I pronounce your right. name wrong? Did I get the title wrong? You got it all New right. New York Magazine It just correct. still feels a little weird. Because it's brand new. Because it's brand new. As we're speaking, you have your first new issue as the new editor-in-chief of New York Magazine. Yep, that came out on Monday. Today's Thursday, I think. Thursday-ish. Mayor Pete's on the cover. Mayor Pete's on the cover. How much pressure is there in issue number one for you? Or do you feel like you're just going to ease Well, I spent a lot of February and March telling people not to judge. (laughs) And that the real project for the first couple months was just me adjusting and the whole editorial operation adjusting to saying goodbye to Adam, basically, and finding our our way in this new world. Let's fill it in for listeners who don't know who Adam is. Adam Moss is one of the the bold type, big deal editor-in-chiefs formerly big deal editor-in-chiefs, left in the magazine business. There was Graydon Carter, there's Anna Wintour, Adam Moss. That's kind of a triumvirate. David Remnick. David Remnick. David Remnick. So Jeffrey you Goldberg, are, but yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey's I mean, from New York. Jeffrey so Goldberg's a, a great thing. person. But the, 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 this is one of the people that you, like, moved to New York to work for. Right, right. And you are filling his shoes. Yeah, that's, of all of the things, that yeah. is the scariest part. It's yeah. just... Um, the filling of the shoes of Adam. And I've known him for uh, my entire—I've worked in New York Magazine for 12 years. I knew Adam uh, for a handful of years before that uh, in a kind of mentor-friend uh, relationship. He, I had started a magazine of my own in graduate school, a little magazine called Topic. Uh, originally, it was at Cambridge University, and then uh, I moved it to New York City. And Adam, who was at, editing the New York Times Magazine at the time— um, I got in touch with, and he just was really generous with his time and gave me a lot of advice about how to make a magazine. So we had that kind of a relationship. Then he went to New York. Um, for a couple of years, he was there, and I was editing Topic Magazine. We'd sort of loosely had conversations about me going there. Uh, and then in 2007, that all made sense. Yeah, I can't underscore how big a deal Adam is in the magazine world. Yeah, he's a world. big deal. I mean, the thing, the thing that's interesting to hear you, to me, as you talk is that he is such a big deal in all of those ways. And then at the same time, as a person, incredibly um, approachable, friendly, warm, understated, modest. He's like, he doesn't play a character. How many people did he have working for him to read his emails? I heard Graydon Carter had like four <laughs> different assistants that would print out Adam his emails had these and read two, them. He, Adam 
Moss at mymag.com was sort of the public email, and uh-huh. his assistant read that. And then he had a shorter email for internally all of us to reach him. More and he directly. read his own email? And he read, of course, yeah. Founder, he, you know, he, he was a very hands-on yeah. editor. Not the kind of editor who sort of set the stage and then did a lot of public events. He was the opposite of that. Um, we can name names if you want. <laughs> um, so there was there was a public announcement that he was leaving, yeah. and there was a gap in between that yeah. and you being anointed. Behind the scenes, was that already a done deal? How, how did that work? Yeah, yeah. That uh, I found out um, soon after Thanksgiving. He um, says he pulls you in? No, not him. Pam. Pam Wasserstein. Pam Wasserstein. the uh, CEO of the company. Owner. Uh, and with her family, the owner of it. So it was really— a decision that Pam had already made after some time of, of sitting with the news that Adam had told her that he didn't want to stick around for another re-up of his contract. So that they had already been having months of conversations of what that meant, and she landed on a plan and looped me into that plan. She brings you in and says, and, sit down. I have yeah, news. it was kind of a—we uh, have a—it was a, it was a classic scenario where— um, I completely didn't expect it. It was an informal— Because Adam had not told you he was leaving. No. Yeah. And it wasn't like there was a you know a meeting that showed up on my calendar, an important conversation that I was about to have with Pam. It was literally a, a, hey, can you come by? She had a few things to talk to me about that were completely tiny. And then she um, said, you know— Oh, by for, the way. Yeah, oh, by the way, some sad news, but good news— <laughs> is that uh, Adam is leaving and I'd like you to take his job. So anyway, that was in December, or the, uh, right after you, Thanksgiving. You are going to replace Adam Moss. Yeah. He's leaving. You're going to replace yeah. him. Do you go, great? Do you go, holy shit? My face flushed. Yeah. And I I was so taken aback. I really, truly was. It was not what I was imagining um, was going on. <laughs> and I mean, I was just so appreciative Inside, incredibly nervous already, um, but I think all it fumbled out of me was just thank you, I guess. Yeah. And I'm so excited. Something. So something no, along no, those like lines. no introspection. No, I got to think about whether I can do this or whether I want to do this. Uh, no, I mean, I had weirdly, I had just filled out in it. You know, maybe you have this here too, but uh, we instituted a couple years ago this annual review, annual summary. HR process, and part of that is that you have to write your own assessment okay. and answer a handful of questions. And one of the questions was a like sort of long term, or what is your view of the future, or whatever, something like that. And I had been at this place for twelve years, and I have been always sure that I didn't want Adam's job because of the pressure of inheriting something that's performing it seems like so well. Like the kind well. of thing that tears up your stomach lining, where you're filling his shoes, yeah. the magazine is doing and, really and the, well. Th- the thing that I so envy about Adam's career is that he. He saw a moment to leave the New York Times magazine, and then he was up high in the masthead of the Times, to leave that for New York magazine, which was at that moment not a great magazine. You know, it it had the bones of something uh, amazing and an early history that was right. exciting. But Adam got to oversee this massive restoration project, and there were, and it was like all upside for Because the history you know? of New York was City Magazine back when City Magazines didn't get respect, and then it was the well, new the journalism. First, yeah, I mean, the first 10 years of New York Magazine were amazing. Tom and Wolfe. Exactly. Clay Felker built yep. it with uh, Milton Glaser and a handful of other people. Tom Wolfe, Nora Ephron, Gloria Steinem, Jimmy Breslin, just an incredible collection of journalists. It's a local magazine, but it's definitely a national magazine. Yeah, it was writing about Watergate. Yep. It was writing about Hollywood. It had a New Yorker's point of view of the world, and then very specific, useful 
no bullshit service about how to actually get around the city. Yeah. That was sort of its its um, thing, and it invented what city magazines could be. And then the the quote unquote city magazine kind of became this thing, and it often wasn't. Um, there was that more ambitious. service, less impact. Yeah, but you know, the simplest way of understanding what Adam did was look to those first years, the Clay Felker era. And find in that history a um, template for what the, the print magazine could be, and also what a digital magazine could be, which we could talk about yeah. more. But just to finish my my story, I was never interested in the pressure of um, the the job that, that I have job, right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I did find myself over the course of last year recognizing that I wanted next in my career the the opportunity to lead a editorial project with the ambition and resources to be excellent. That was a, a sentence that I typed the morning that Pam called me into her office. And so somehow internally I had gotten myself to the place and I really truly did not think it was going to be here because I didn't think Adam was leaving. And so it just felt like I should let Adam and Pam know that kind of long term I'd like to run something. And anyway, then she called me into her office and and so that was sorry. That was December. Yeah. And then we were all very nervous about how to break this news. And it was Adam's very smart, although at the time I thought maybe not correct idea that the best way to do it would be to split the news cycles. You know, create two news cycles, uh -huh. basically. Um, someone's leaving, someone's coming. Someone's leaving, stories. yeah, exactly. And that, that gap, people wouldn't jump out the window. That was the thing I was worried about, that Adam is so beloved in the office and um, truly uh, has created... Uh, magazine and its digital incarnation in his image and what would the staff think to know that he's going and not know who's coming, you know. So, but anyway, we got through those 24 hours. Um, he had, and you know, there was an enormous and glowing article in the Times about his yeah. career and all that stuff. Uh, and then, and then people were interested in my news too, so that didn't get buried either. So it was... Well played. And and then, and then uh, Adam... His last day was, was going to be and was March 31st, and this was mid-January now that the news came out. So then we had a, like, 10-week transition, um, which was every week very different than the week before. Is he pulling you aside and saying, listen, we never talked about this, but this is actually the secret to doing the whole thing? <laughs> we had a handful of conversations where I was, of, of, like, all right, big picture. How does this place work? And like big picture, if you look at the staff. Because again, you were there, you were obviously yeah. high up the masthead. Pam, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So you had access to a lot of this. You knew how a lot of the, the mechanisms yeah, worked. Yeah, the, the, the last iteration of my job at the magazine was in a position of some leadership and was pretty strategic. So I was involved in a lot of conversation where this place was going. I wasn't as clued into um, the mechanics and the budgeting of how mm -hmm. it currently works. So that was a big education. And you are, by the way, how old? I just turned 40. That's the right age to start running a magazine. Right? Yeah, so I started it when I was 39. <laughs> and then April aged. 10th, I turned 40. So there there was there have been a series of high-profile uh, magazine leaders leaving in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, sometimes on the business side, sometimes on the editing side. And very often the through line is, whether it's stated or not, is this person is leaving because the magazine business is contracting and there isn't the budget for them to get paid the gazillion dollars they're getting paid or they're just cutting and they don't want to do the cutting or they just need a cheaper person. Graydon Carter just did a thing for Hollywood Reporter where he more or less says, like, this whole thing's shrinking and it's less fun for me. So Radhika Jones has that job and part of right. part of her job is to is to run that thing at a, at a, at a smaller budget but still have it a big right. deal. How much of that is... It's is, not really playing, applicable to this situation. Right, yeah, yeah. So yeah. How, how different or applicable is it? Pretty different. I mean, it was... Uh, 
it's a pretty exciting time to be the editor-in-chief of the magazine. I feel that, and Adam also feels that. So he wasn't sort of, it, it wasn't a kind of, I mean, you should ask him, but yeah. I, I believe him when he says in public and in private that it was truly a sense of personal, mm, exhaustion is not the right word, but but ready for something else. It's kind of surprising to me, it has been, that so many magazine editors are still interested in being in the job for as long as they sometimes are. You know, it doesn't necessarily... Because in the old days, reflect, it, was, it was a great gig, right? Yeah, I mean, Town I guess that's cars true. And I guess that's expense true. budgets and... But just, you know, Adam's incredibly... Has an incredibly creative, fertile mind. And the fun thing about this job is you're constantly reinventing things. You're not only constantly looking at, around the world and saying, oh, that's a story we want to do. This is actually changing in the world and let's notice it. But you're the magazine itself and the digital newsroom and the brands that we're creating, um, the, the verticals, all of that going to film, television, podcast, events, there's so much to create all the time. So that is really fun and makes the job um, exciting. But it doesn't surprise me that after 15 years of that, Adam was like, ah, okay, uh, let's let's sort of see what else I've got in, in me. And specifically, the kind of management drain uh, was, a lot of work. was wearing on him. Yeah. So anyway, that's why he left, and it really didn't have anything to do with the business. But it was interesting when when uh, he, we were trying to f- plot out how to manage this announcement, there aren't that many playbooks we could find of a successful transition in magazine editorship. Uh, especially recently, it's all been kind of rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just so grateful that he sort of saw as part of his legacy transitioning well, you know, like that, that was part, he has set me up in every possible way to succeed. And that's also super stressful because I might not, but like, it's such a different situation compared to say Graydon and Radika. Yeah. So let's talk about what you're going to do, but uh-huh. we're going to take a quick break and hear from a fine sponsor back with David Haskell in a minute. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Back here with David Haskell, newly installed, newish editor of New York Magazine. Normally, this would be the part of the conversation I'd say, hey, magazines, what's up with magazines? What's the point (laughs) of a magazine? Isn't this all digital? But New York in particular has done a very good job of adapting in a lot of ways to a digital world, right? And you guys have been publishing aggressively online for a long time and I think have done a really good job of providing useful information, um, big, important stories, and also servicey stuff, so you're getting both eyeballs and attention, positive attention. Mm-hmm. How much of how much of that uh, was was your hand? Uh, not that much. Yeah, you know, I think um, one way to look at the last 15 years of Adam's tenure and also the Washington family's ownership of this place is that we, as a magazine, figured out how to live, how to be a digital publication, and to bring the qualities of magazineness to the digital world and our magazine in particular. That was like the big accomplishment. Um, and I had very little to, to do with it. Um, so most of my time was was editing big features. Doing actual um, magazine editing. Yeah. yeah. And n- not that much time spent on the creation of 
of our verticals, with the exception of the strategist, which is which is yeah. Explain um, what the strategist is. I think a lot sure. of people in the magazine business know what it is, but others might not. Well, yeah. So really quickly, one thing that we as a company really realized early on is that. New York Magazine is a general interest magazine, right? It has a very particular point of view and um, voice, and it, it's sort of known for its stylish journalism and all that stuff, but it's general interest. Whereas on the internet, what really performs, what really works is deep, obsessional reporting and commentary and attitude around specific topics. I want so, this thing. I, 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 I equate this brand with this thing and that's why I value it. Yeah, or like, you know, Vulture which was which is one of the one of the first verticals that we created, New York Magazine has always covered culture in a very obsessive way. But rather than just sort of add a lot of culture coverage to what New York Magazine was digitally, we created this thing out of nowhere called Vulture and it just was this like repository of what's well, its motto for a long time has been mind of a critic, heart of a fan. And some people are consuming Vulture and don't know it's exactly, a New York Magazine. Exactly, right. Product. So so the the big discovery was that we could create these these verticals of um, excitement, enthusiasm, attitude, blah, 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 and that they could completely live on their own independently. You really, truly could be, and there are millions of them out there, huge Vulture fans, and not really have that much of a relationship to the rest of what we're about. Same with The Cut. Um, and, you know, there's five of them. So Vulture, The Cut, Intelligencer, uh, The Strategist, and Grub Street. And um, strategist is the newest one. So the strategist, so the new, yes, the strategist um, is named after a section of the magazine that gives you service journalism, tells you how to, you know, do life more. Right. It's fashion centric, right? Well, no, it's not fashion centric, but it's um, practical centric. So the, its main job in the magazine originally was how your strategies for getting through New York City, you know, and it's where our food coverage is. This yeah. is the restaurant to go to, but also this thing is trending right now, and. Um, this is literally the, the, the best route, you know, we just did this thing on, uh, everything guide to umbrellas and it included like, what is the right way to walk through certain areas of the city to get rained on the least. And it's very specifically, That's good. does it have some umbrella etiquette? Cause people, are it has some umbrella scared. etiquette. Exactly. And it also has, these are the best umbrellas. So there was an aspect of what we were doing that was always a lot of really rigorous testing and research and, and, um, filtering through our point of view to say, this is worth buying. And what we decided to do a few years ago is create a digital expression of the strategist that was all about internet shopping. Right. And saying that, you know, the internet, like New York City, is both overwhelmingly exciting and just overwhelming. We recommend you buy this stuff. And that's what we do. So we say, um, in a million different ways, and we have different forms for doing it, we look at what's out there in the world and say, this is worth buying. And it's a different business model for us than the rest of our... Um, because it's e-commerce. Because it's e-commerce affiliate revenue So you're based. sending people to Amazon, other retailers, getting a cut of that. That's You guys were early on that. Everyone's yeah. very interested in it yeah. now. The New York Times bought Wirecutter. Yeah. I think they, in their filings, they said that's now doing $50 million a year for them. For sure. Uh, BuzzFeed is pushing it. Mm -hmm. We're doing it mm -hmm. at Fox Media. It's still growing for you guys. I'm yeah, assuming. it's growing very quickly. It's a great business story for us. It's really exciting editorially because its business incentives are so in line with editorial excellence. You have to be trustworthy uh, in order to convince people to click on a link, you know? And then if you do, uh, Amazon or Nordstrom or whoever's going to sell that product eventually is really appreciative of our referral because they know that when we refer something, we genuinely believe it and the people who are coming are quote-unquote qualified, right? So they they pay us for that and they have no influence over what we choose right. um, 
so it's from it's, the outside. It seems like the obvious problem here is you have a race to the bottom, right? Where you have Amazon dominating this business, and then Walmart and a few other retailers, mm -hmm. and they they know that all the publishers really want this business, and they can afford to give them less and less on each cut. I was just talking to someone who's doing this business, and they were providing the counter argument. Do, do you want to explain why? Yeah, this, I'll why give this you a counter Sustainable. We're in a um, stronger position than the Amazons of the world are, really, in the sense Very that— Very few people can say that with a straight face. Well, they've got a great business. I'm yeah. not saying we're in a better business. But in this, in this relationship, you know, in a world without storefronts, it's really hard for e-commerce retailers to uh, get people to discover products. You know, that is a, a dilemma that they've got. Um, so even though Amazon has everything— It has everything, but how are they going to get you to the, yeah. some of the stuff? And so, they're, you know, in my opinion, it's a pretty sustainable business. If it's not, you know, you don't want to have all your eggs in the Amazon basket, and we don't. We're, we work with pretty much anybody who sells anything online. Um, but I just see that ecosystem needing referral sources. Yeah, right. Amazon, and, as big as Amazon is, they need you guys to funnel shoppers to yeah. them to buy a specific And, thing. you know, so they'll pay a small, a few pennies. Like, it's, you know, it's not, it's just cutting into a tiny bit of their margin and right. saying, sure, take some of it for, for um, getting these people here. Um, I think that'll keep going. Yeah. I, I really do. You know, and, it, and from our point of view, where we're more concerned is just making sure that we have, on the business side, relationships with a lot of different places so that if Amazon is um, changing its plans— Right, and they've um, already gone. They've already said once we're, we're cutting the, the fees for this in general. Well, they did to um, their non-preferred relationships— but if you are— If you're a generic link provider— Yeah, if you were a gonna, kind of blogger, yeah. um, you're not as valuable to them. But, but for if you guys, For the us, times. for The Times, and I'm sure a handful of other places, um, that relationship is getting stronger over time. Yeah, someone told me that they're actually going to expand in specific territories around the world because Amazon is saying, we would like it if you went to Country X and generated more leads for us. Yeah. Which sounds both creepy and then, I don't know, if it supports journalism, we'll, we'll take it. Yep. That's uh, all I'll say. Uh, let's let's have the the Wither magazine talk though. So you guys make great stuff online, and then mm -hmm. there's stuff that is also online but exists in print. Mm -hmm. How do you demarcate? All right, this is an online only thing. This deserves to be in the magazine, or this should be in the magazine. Yeah. Because um, as a reader, I don't care. Yeah, right? right. I mean, everything that we publish shows up digitally, so it's really just a question of what also is in the print product. Uh, and historically, the the kind of the way that the editorial operation was built, the print magazine was really the engine for a lot of journalism. And one thing I know I want to do is shift that a bit so it's more a showcase for it. But the engine exists outside of the print magazine. So we are, you know, over the years, our verticals, digital verticals in general, have gotten more ambitious, more layered in their approach, um, borrowed a lot of the tools of magazine making. They're becoming real magazines, you know. And um, when you look at, quote-unquote, enterprise journalism, which was like traditionally the very expensive journalism that was happening in the magazine, right. and then that would show up on Vulture and be the big Vulture story. Vulture itself is making enterprise journalism, and it should be doing more of that. And so we'll get to this place uh, where they're somewhat now, it's not going to be completely there, but we will push more towards a place where the magazine is just every two weeks, what, how can we put it, package it all together into something that has a lot of magazine drama? You know, magazines are such a theatrical experience. Explain that, because I, I, think, I think, again, like I, I moved to New York 20-plus years ago because <laughs> I love magazines, and I wanted to work at them, and I, I thought they were great products. Yeah. And for a bunch of reasons, I think, 
well, economic reasons and also just culturally they have become devalued and it's hard to sort of explain how big a deal they were again even 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and again, as a reader, and I read voraciously, it's all on my phone. It kind of all looks the same. Yeah. And, you know, a great, a, you know, you did your uh, your Biden story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Biden creeped me out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Story, right? And that's online. Yeah. And I can't didn't imagine. Run in the magazine. Didn't run in the magazine. And again, as a, it said, you know, I think everyone said this is a New York magazine piece. But right. As a re- and the cut. And the know, cut, right? right? But as a reader, like, it's all the same right. stuff. And yeah. I value it. But yeah. I don't value I, the idea of this sort of... Uh, curated, very specific thing um, is kind of lost, I think, even to someone like me who loves magazines. Yeah, I think that that's that's true. That's the world we're in, that so much news comes at you in a kind of uniform way, and it's it's just the world we live in, and I'm not saying that we're going to live in a different world, but there is something... So what is drama of a magazine then? Well, so, you know, starting with the cover, what you've got is this opportunity to shake people and say like what we just did with this uh, Mayor Pete cover, how about Pete? Like that was the cover line. And it took us, you know, it took most of my 24 hours of Thursday into Friday just focusing on that and the deck, the the language going yeah. into the to the cover line to figure out what is it that we're actually going to say. And it was that important to me to get that language right because it's a big jolt of a statement. We took a kind of weird, alive photograph that was both real and slightly, you know, cartoonish. And um, so, you know, from the very beginning, a magazine cover can announce something, can and make something big happen. Right, in the world. and there's iconic Esquire magazine yeah. covers, a bunch yeah. of famous magazine covers. And, and even, again, fairly recently, uh, if you were a magazine editor, you spent a lot of time thinking about how this would work on a newsstand. What would this right. sell? I mean, the newsstand of today is Instagram. Yeah, okay. you, you know, it's not that I'm—we're not— we, and New York Magazine's never really had a newsstand business, so mm-hmm. actually that is special to us. We, we we're going to make um, this print we've thing always that been we've been a, more based on subscribers. So the so the value of a cover for us isn't so much like you're walking in an airport and you see it. I mean that's great, fine, uh-huh. but it's a, it's a marginal part of the business now, and it always kind of has been. But it's really just like, oh yeah, this is why I subscribe because wow, that's exciting or weird. You're or making this, someone who's already given you money feel better, and then yeah. you also expect that this is going to travel around the internet as yeah. sort of a brand for you. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, that's just one part of a magazine experience. But I've always appreciated a kind of curated, intentional, dramatic walkthrough of my news. I mean, I find that when I go to a museum, I want to know whether to turn right or left. Mm -hmm. And I want somebody to have guided me through what they think is the the right way to see something. So that's sort of a bias of mine. But I think it's what's exciting to a lot of people about magazines is that you can really go on a journey in a kind of regularized weekly, bi-weekly, monthly cadence. Um, and, and there's kind of this form, right, where there's the front of the book, yeah. shorter, snappier pieces. But then but once you get into that yeah. kind of um, how it all works, that's where I'm like, eh. You don't care. Yeah, we're like, let's shake it up. Yeah. None, of, none of those rules are important. Really, the only thing that, it, that, um, that I would argue for in terms of a print magazine is just that it forces you to— as editors spend a lot of attention to making a full experience, and it gives a reader a chance to break from the world and have an experience. So that's that's the like the the argument for print. The core thing of what New York Magazine is translates beyond print because it's about voice, attitude, and approach to journalism. You know, so so the same reason like when people who still make albums care about track listings yeah. and the order, even though most of the stuff is going to get disaggregated yeah. and the single's going to go out or yeah. someone's going to stream it, they still think it's important to, like, this track starts this yeah. side and, well, there's no sides anymore, but still, we're going to go in order, we're going to tell you a story. And I think, you know, like, 
whatever you think of what Apple News Plus is, the fact that they, Apple, a, a tech company, has said magazines matter in the world, I think what they're saying is not just that flip-through cadence or the digital equivalent of that, but that there is a, a type of content out in the world, type of journalism that isn't newspapers and it isn't nonfiction books and it isn't documentaries on Netflix, but it's this other thing where you it, it is a relationship that you can have with a brand of journalism that is um, that shares a point of view and an attitude with you and is your sort of partner in understanding the modern world. So let's, let's talk about Apple News uh, Plus. Sure. Uh, you guys were prominently featured in it. A lot yeah. of Rebecca Traster in that in yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> in that uh, promo reel. She looked great. A lot of the magazine publishers are in it in part because they were in it contractually. They had this thing called Texture. And yeah. They sold it to Apple, and they're they're. But, but you guys have opted well, we were into part of this. No, we were part of Texture. You too. were part of Texture to begin with. Okay, but yeah. you weren't owners of Texture. We weren't. Right, but we so. had already had a relationship with. You know, there were there were people, not many of them, who were reading us on Texture uh-huh. already. So you so, could, but you could opt. You, you didn't need to be part of Apple News Plus, right? Mm, I'm not sure. Okay, but uh, we definitely decided it was it was worth jumping on. So I've talked about this a couple times. I yeah. think it is a pretty cool experience if you like magazines yeah. but don't particularly care about any one magazine. Yeah, and that's kind of what Apple is saying, sort of like, but not on stage. Yeah, of, uh, like if you the same thing for the Wall Street Journal. If you right. love the Wall Street Journal, just sort of like interested in quote unquote premium content. Yeah. Um, but across a wide variety of right. stuff, and you're not too loyal to any one thing. So the upside for you guys is there's money, uh-huh. potentially, and uh-huh. then theoretically you're exposing your stuff to someone who maybe doesn't read yeah. your stuff all the time. That's yeah. all good. The flip side is there's a real disincentive, I think, to subscribe to New York Magazine yeah. if you're getting texture because it's already in there. Right. And, you you know, you guys are getting a very, very small slice of right. $10 Although a Although one month. thing for us, because we put everything on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, you could get it all on Apple News Regular. So we were already giving you all of our content there. Now Apple is coming to us and saying, can we put it in this premium locked category and we'll actually be paying you for some of the readers of it. And so mm-hmm. that's sort of just an... So we were already giving up. it away and yeah. now we're getting yeah. paid for it. But the other thing that, that happened this year, the probably most significant, second most significant thing <laughs> after uh, Adam leaving is that we launched a digital subscription business back in December. So now we are asking our readers to pay $5 a month or $50 a year. And, you know, if you like look at what we're about from a macro business thing, Pam Washington, our CEO, has been here for three years. She made this big decision early on that um, even if we thought and we do think we can grow our advertising business, uh, the overall business is better if it's diversified and that there are these two other business models out there that are best for us. Uh, One is the affiliate revenue, one with the strategist, and one is a digital subscription Mm -hmm. business. And the cool thing about being an editor is both of those are are basically rewarding good journalism, right? It's just, as an editor, I need to try to get some percentage of the 50 million people who are reading us each month to decide we're that good that they want to pay for it. You know, so, okay, great. Because you you get five free articles or whatever it is. Yeah, we have this quote-unquote dynamic paywall, which means you never really know Mm -hmm. what the tally is, but at some point, if you're... You get a tap on the shoulder. You get a tap on the shoulder, and then you get a full wall, and it says... You're up for the month. Please subscribe. So, I mean, what? How? I mean, when you go to Apple News, then again, which is going to allow me to yeah. pay ten. I'm paying for it now. Yeah. ten bucks, and I can read you and the New Yorker yeah. and everything else in there. And in theory, when I get to your tap on the shoulder and the paywall goes up online, I go, oh, I don't, I don't need to pay you directly. I'm already I'm paying just Apple. Go to Apple News. Yeah, that's a that might 
happen with enough frequency that the whole thing doesn't work for us. So you, you know? the question is, you, you, the I answer is know. you don't know. Yeah, of course we don't know. Yeah. And and we'll we'll see. The the sense is that there is a different two different use cases really that there are people who are going to get to us from Apple News and they're really not. You know, there's a huge number of them, first of all, and for the most part, they're not the people who are ready on site all the time. Owners yeah. that are going to flip through it yeah. periodically. Um, and I know folks at the New Yorker have sort of made a separate argument. If you really love us, the best experience of us is going to be right. on our site. Um, if you're kind the of New Yorker's a, online editor said, please, yeah, please exactly. don't go through. Uh, texture through Apple News Plus. Please subscribe to us directly. Yeah, and I would say a similar thing. If you really like us, you're going to get the best experience f- from us, and and that's on us to make sure, from a product point of view, we're giving you the best version of us. But if you're, you know, if if you're just sort of casually interested in content, I think I think Apple News is probably worth it. I mean, it's definitely a yeah. deal. So, but so yeah. this is, I mean, this, even though you guys are prominently featured and you're a big part of this, you uh-huh. view this as sort of an experiment. Wait, yeah, see, I think let's see how it I goes. think we as a company, I mean, I don't know what the deal is and how much flexibility we have, but I know that just strategically, jury's out on how much it will cannibalize the digital subscription. And you have the capacity to get out at some point. I think. don't know, honestly. I think you do. I think we do. I think you do. Yeah, I'm sure. And all, all of this sort of business conversation, right? There's yeah. in, in in newspapers the in the old model. The editors were proudly sort of ignorant of how any part of the business worked, uh-huh. wanted no part of it. In magazines, I think there's always been more of a blend, right? Because you're you're selling the product, you're well aware of it. At least yeah. the magazine experiences I've I've had the, you know, even if there's a dis, even if there's a clear wall between edit and advertising, you guys are talking all the time. Yeah, yeah, and I've also felt always like a kind of entrepreneurial editor, so I'm not afraid of any of the business conversations. I'm very protective and careful of our journalism and brand. So I'd rather be in the room and say this, let's double down on the strategist. I mean, it was really important to me that we grow that business. It felt like completely in line with who we are as a company and would would facilitate a lot of really great journalism that was on brand. So I was like, if this is a business that's going to work, let's, let's go deep into it. But then there, we've had other conversations about X, Y, and Z ways of making money that would obviously be in tension with editorial quality. And that's it's super important to me to be in that room and say, nope, not that one. Let's not do that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and make that case. And it's and, not just being defensive, right? It's like, I think we should pursue this. Yeah, well, let's do this. Yeah, this I is mean, a good revenue opportunity exactly, for us. Exactly. I, I really think, and it's very fun to be Pam's partner in this because she uh, is very interested in ways of growing the business that is smart. But she's also very discerning and has really good taste. By so the way, that is a nice combo to have in a boss. By the way, last fall there was a story saying you guys had uh, uh, hired a banker and you were exploring alternatives. I haven't heard anything about that. It sounds like it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. You know, the the, the magazine's owned by the Washington family. They're, mm-hmm. they're a pretty private family, and you just talk to them about what happened. But um, I will say that at the— town hall meeting, you know, our big company-wide meeting in, in February, Pam was asked by one of our employees, are we still for sale? Mm-hmm. And she said no. And uh, in all of my conversations with her too, that is a true answer. Good. We got it out of the way. Good. I, um, I know. Was, uh, one more business question for yeah. you. Uh, what what percent of the business, what percent of the revenue is, comes from strategists and e-commerce and that stuff right now? Uh, that I don't know. I know that the... Um, a couple years ago, the whole company had about 85% of its business was was advertising. Mm-hmm. And this year, we're on track, Pam was telling me the other day, 
to be around 60%, and even that's, though it, the advertising business is growing. Okay, so that's not just the ad, ad business exactly, declining. Exactly, right. So the ad numbers are growing in absolute terms, but going down pretty significantly in uh, And this is, this is the new so, normal for publishers. They want yeah. that. I mean, at least for Pam yeah. and for this company. I think it's like you find a few different business models that all in different ways make money on high-quality content. You know, and so anyway, that number I can give you. It's we're this year we're on pace for advertising to be at around sixty. So, but I can't break it out between the others. I don't know. What All right, is. I'll get the pie chart from you later. We'll yeah. publish it. Yeah. Um, we make money from ads, so this may be an ad, right, Golda? Someone told me that you should be a character on this show. How do you feel about that? <laughs> oh, you know, it was Josh Sapan, who you, who we all liked. So producer Golda is going to be a new character on the show. We'll take a quick break. Back with David. This week on The Gray Area, Professor Diana Posulka and I tackle one of life's biggest questions. Are we alone in the universe? What would it take for you to step off the agnostic ledge and say, yeah, aliens are real? Is it a spacecraft landing on the White House lawn? Well, something that was anomalous in 1952 did fly over the White House. And that's one of those cases that is still weird. <laughs> that's This Week on the Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. Back here with David Haskell, who just told me he's having fun. So I'm going <laughs> to hold him to that. Um, speaking of fun, let's talk about politics and how uh, uh, how you guys think about your role in, in covering politics in general in 2020. Again, clearly, I, like we talked about, you guys are New York Magazine, but you are a national publication. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to cover Trump. Everyone's going to cover the Democratic race. How do you stand out in that crowd? That's a conversation we're having all the time, and it changes all the time. You know, I, I look, looking back on the last few presidential cycles, it's kind of been interesting to study what our lane has been. Um, John Hallman was writing for us for the 2008 race, and and the kind of the drama that was a like premium cable yeah. show. You know, the the primary between. Clinton, Obama, the race itself, so narratively focused. 2012 and also 16, by that point, we had a kind of murderer's row of commentary with Frank Rich, John Chait, Rebecca Traister, Andrew Sullivan, giving really super smart analysis of what's going on, in addition to obviously a lot of strong reporting also. And so I'm sort of just in a kind of theoretical, in my head way, that you try to plan things and then in reality things just happen, trying to think of how we can really meet the 2020 race with our greatest assets. But, you know, if you look at the piece that Olivia Nuzzi wrote about Pete, it was actually a pretty quick turnaround piece. We decided uh, just a few weeks ago that um, our internal Pete obsession was actually maybe worth covering. (laughs) And so... We were like, all right, let's do this. The classic New York Magazine piece. She's going to fly to New Hampshire. She's going to watch him. She's going to have a lot of conversations with him, but she's not just going to sort of write a piece that transcribes her conversation. She's going to download all of the sort of wisdom that she's picked up of what's going on. She's going to be a super smart observer of what's happening. Meanwhile, we're getting a photographer out to New Hampshire to try to document what these surreal early primary meetings are there. And then we're also on the phone with with the campaign to convince them to give us a portrait session um, because if that could come through, that really felt to me like a cover. Um, and then we realized that he's actually going to be announcing uh, right when the piece is coming out. And that's just serendipity. That's, yeah, it's like luck that you sort of um, fall into and sort of make for yourself. It's funny, all those elements are like still how big magazine covers are made, which is there's a combination of like 
we have a gut feeling that this is yeah. an interesting person yeah. and we're trying to catch that wave and we want to be out a little bit early. Yeah. And then by putting him on the cover, we're now part of the wave. It's yeah. self-perpetuating. Yeah. And then also, like you mentioned, needing a photo. Like, again, I think for a lot of folks, especially who consume stuff online, you don't think about photography. Yeah. And if, if you're, you know, if you're us at, at Vox Media, you generally you go to the Getty right, archive right. and you, there's a photo. Yeah, photography is really important But to for me. you guys, like the photo is a big deal. It's yeah. very important. Yeah. And if you don't get the photo, it makes it less compelling for you. It makes it less likely to put on the cover. Yeah, or it's a bigger cover challenge. Like, yeah. you know, I think by the end of that cycle of closing that issue, I was sure that that should be the cover with or without the picture. And so if it wasn't going to be that, then that's really fun because we as a magazine don't have the kind of constri cover constraints that we don't need to make a commercial cover. Mm -hmm. We can really do anything we want on it. So it could be in all type, just a bunch of words. It could be, we had this weird picture of... Um, or not weird, but a kind of cute picture of uh, the back of a teenager's head where he had shaved Pete for president 2020 on it. And I was like, all right, well, that could be a cover. That's your backup. You know, anything yeah. could be. But it, you just needed to like solve the cover problem. And thinking about politics going forward, I really do want to apply our journalistic talent to each of the candidates while there is still an opportunity to be observing a lot of them. But at the same time, write about the systems of how this place, uh, how a race works, the money behind it. You know, New York has always, New York Magazine's always been particularly strong on the media of politics yep. and the money of politics um, and the kind of behind the scenes how something is constructed. So there's a lot of that that I want to be able to do. And then also, we all feel like you never want to feel stuck hostage to the horse race coverage. So... When, where can we be surprising? And who is the kind of, who's the senator who's not on anyone's radar right now, but an incredible story right now? Um, you know, I definitely want to be assigning into the heat of the 2020 stuff, not just the obvious 2020 pieces. I've been asking people this for a couple of years. There was all this soul searching post Trump on the media yeah. side. What do we get wrong? How do yeah. we fix it? I feel like maybe you guys were exempt from that conversation because you weren't supposed to be sort of providing a national take, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, we were definitely a part yeah. of that conversation. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, obviously you had Rebecca writing that, about writing about Clinton and she was deep into that. And it, it, you guys had really we, focused our, a ton the of cover resources of the, on that. of the magazine that was out on election day on uh, 2016 was a big, it was a piece by Barbara Kruger where you had a big image of Donald Trump and it said a loser on it. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't, yep. <laughs> but he is. But uh, yeah, I mean, a lot, I'm not, afraid of anticipating the future. I think we're actually really good at that. A lot of our political commentary is, okay, what does this mean next? We're talking right now as the Mueller report, I assume, mm -hmm. is being released any minute now. And the job- It's already of, out. It's out, okay. So the job of our political writers and editors is not just to say what's in it, but what? how is that changing the near future? Right. Um, and so we're going to get that wrong sometimes. And there's a lot of conversations we're having internally about- um, yeah, responsibility and how much has actually changed in the world of of um, political media. What did what did the 2016 election permanently do? In what way did it permanently change how you can responsibly cover politics? That we are deep in those conversations. Trump is uh, Trump famously is sort of a, a New York centric media yeah. person. Likes the Post, yeah. Yeah. the Times. He are likes, you guys he, in his media diet? Yeah, I mean, likes quote unquote. Like he's he's complained about us compared, more. but he, consumes it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's aware. He's aware. That's good. Um, or is it good? Of Doesn't course, matter. it's good. good. You, you want, want be, you want the president of the United States reading your copy? Yeah, you want to be in the conversation. You know. Last question is about whiskey. 
Yeah. You have a side hustle. I do. You're running New York Magazine and mm-hmm. you have your own distillery. Uh-huh. How did that happen? Well, it's a, it's a business I started with a friend of mine from college. Uh-huh. And he, at the time, was working at an architecture firm. I was working at a, a magazine. The economy had just crashed. Both of those jobs seemed pretty precarious. And we had this little hobby going on where um, he had brought a still back, or brought some moonshine back from Eastern Kentucky, where he's from. We bought a still on the internet. We're making, illegally, because you weren't allowed to, distill anything without a license in this country, but we were making some whiskey. Realized we could be the first in New York City to get a license if we moved quickly, um, and therefore always the oldest distillery in New York City, and that seemed like a kind of Oldest story in New York City means proposition. circa 2000, born in... Yeah, actually, our birthday was last week, so we're, we're officially nine years old. Um, What's the name of the brand? Kings County Distillery. And if you go to a certain kind of liquor store, meaning the mm-hmm. ones I go to all the time, your stuff is all over the place. Yeah, that's, little bottles, that's good to hear. Yeah. M- moonshine. Yeah. The big news in our business is that we're about to finally release to the world a 750 milliliter bottle, which is the average size bottle of liquor. Uh, but we started so small. We were just the, not only the first in New York City, we were the smallest distillery in America by a factor of 20 or something. Where do you actually make the stuff? Uh, in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Okay. Um, but now we've, we've amassed enough juice uh, that we can put out a, a regular-sized bottle, and that'll be a big deal for and us. And you're going you to branch out of whiskey, or you go whiskey, whiskey? Um, well, the the big bet was to just be a whiskey distillery. We bought stills that were only good for whiskey and not gin, vodka, and other stuff, which was a departure from how a lot of other micro-distilleries were building their businesses. So now that we've got, a, all we really do is whiskey, but we've played with brandy, and we've played with our version of Tequila. You, you didn't make, make a gin, right? I had some kind of no. Brooklyn need. Yeah, there's gin a lot from of like industry yeah, so, city. So there's, I think, around 30 distillers in New York City now. So first, uh, but we're we're always the oldest. If you go to your Twitter ever, account. There's there's one there's one post from you, and it's an image like I guess of you in a cornfield. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I have such a. I I don't know how to be on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I use it all day long as a way of reading the news, but in terms of expressing myself on Twitter, it's never made sense for me. Yeah, you can't fuck um, up that way, right? I, I used to kind of promote stories I worked on, but I just couldn't find a language that felt true to myself. So I deleted all of those before the news came out because I was like, eh, that's just kind of uh, Okay, so you have awkward. used it in the past. I have. I've You've made more than one it, post. And I've made more than one, but none of them made any sense to me. Okay, so we can buy your liquor anywhere in New York City and beyond? Yeah, we're in most states and a handful of other countries. We can buy your, your magazine at a newsstand via Apple News. Or just nymag.com. People can figure um, it out. You can pay an extra 20 bucks a year beyond your 50 and get it in your mailbox, which, which is also pretty cool. We, we subscribe post-election. Yeah, I Good. Yeah, I don't know if we're renewed. I got to check. I'll look <laughs> at it. Uh, David, this is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I will let you get back to reading the Mueller report. Yeah, uh, can't wait. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to my producer, Golda Arthur. Thanks to Jelani Carter, who recorded the show and is awesome in general. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits the show, so it sounds even better than when we first made it. Uh, thanks again to you guys for listening. Thanks in advance for leaving a nice comment for me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever one listens and comments. This is Recode Media. See you next week.